This is episode number 419 with Dr. Drew. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome, everyone, to episode 419. We have Dr. Drew in the house. I'm very excited about this interview. We, we dove in deep about a lot of different topics that are interesting to me, and I hope you find them interesting as well. Uh, for those that don't know who Dr. Drew is, he's an American celebrity doctor who is board-certified internist, addiction medicine specialist, and media personality. He hosted the nationally syndicated radio talk show Loveline since the show's inception in 1984 until its end in 2016. And on TV, he's hosted many shows, including Dr. Drew on Call, the daytime series Life Changers on The CW, and he's produced and starred in the VH1 show Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew and its spinoffs Sex Rehab with Dr. Drew, Celebrity Rehab Presents Sober House, and he hosts and is a part of many different radio and podcasts as well, which we'll talk about on this show. We talked about a lot today. I asked him about why he wanted to get into medicine in the first place and become a doctor and what his mission was growing up in that space and how it almost didn't happen. We talk about when becoming a media personality came to him and why he decided to jump into TV and radio during a booming part of his career. We talked about addictive substances and how to end addiction. And if addiction is part of a gene or if it's something that is caused because of a trauma, either emotionally or physically in your life and how to end it. We talked about how to heal the mind and the body along any process of your journey. I asked Dr. Drew about his mission moving forward now that he's created so much in the world. And we talk about the things that he loves to talk about the most, which is his philosophy on everything. Make sure to let me know what you guys think of this episode while you're listening to it over on Twitter and on Instagram. Just tweet me or tag me on Instagram at Lewis Howes and let me know. Share this with your friends, lewishowes.com slash 419. And let Dr. Drew know as well. All the ways you can connect with him are back on my show notes. And you can watch the full video interview as well there. So without further ado, let me introduce to you the one, the only Dr. Drew. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off take your business further with the smart and flexible american express business gold card you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit u.s restaurants and gas stations that's the powerful backing of american express Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. 
Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, quick math. The less your business depends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep, obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash greatness. netsuite.com slash greatness. Again, head to netsuite.com slash greatness. Welcome everyone to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got a living legend, Dr. Drew, in the oh, house. Wow. Good to see you, man. That's not the right word for me. <laughs> well, I'm grateful you're here. Appreciate and um, you know, I've known about you for many years, probably a decade of just watching different shows on TV, which you've been on and um, that you've hosted and had, and so I'm just thinking. Speaking of legends, you had legend. Your wall here is right? full of legends. You well, got to show like, people that wall. You're a medical legend. That's a legend. <laughs> you're a medical legend. There you go. But you help a lot of people. You heal a lot of people. You try. you help uh, educate people with a lot of their yep. their trauma, getting over yeah. trauma, and it's true. Um, that's the type of stuff that people need the most is how to let go of things that hold them back from their greatness. In my mind, okay. And if there's something in their mind that is consuming them, some type of addiction, some type yeah. of uh, pain, aggression, yeah resentment, uh, lack of uh, not forgiving people, yeah. then it's really holding them back from connecting, from opening up, yeah, from yeah. being their true authentic self, which is holding them back from being the most creative, loving, risk-taking, mm-hmm. joyful beings in the world. So you true. provide an incredible platform for decades to help people, whether it be from radio show to podcast to TV shows that you do to serve humanity. So I want to acknowledge you for Thank you. your incredible service. Thanks. Um, and we connected through Ryan Holiday. Connect, try to connect me about a year ago to you, yeah. and we've just never been able to make. Ryan's it a great work. guy. Ryan, you asked me off yes. here. But what, How'd you uh, meet Ryan? I met Ryan. Ryan, uh, I I was giving, <laughs> I was going around. I can't even remember what it was. It was something for something about. Oh my god! It was for college kids. Like they took editors and and writers from school newspapers, and they had them meet with me and. Oh, I can't remember who was in the group, but it was just sort of I, I and I can't remember the conceit. It was sort of about what's going on campuses and condoms, and I think the condom company was sponsoring it, and sort of what's going on in the male female relationships. And it was yeah. it was sort of during the whole hookup era. And it must have been fifteen years ago, maybe twenty wow. years ago, fifteen years ago probably. And Ryan just came up to me afterwards and said, "You know, what are you doing now?" And I said, "Well, I'm reading the Stoic philosophy. I'm, I'm just." Just getting into you said this to him. Yeah, yeah and that's like his biggest it. thing. Well, he says it in the book. He yeah. says, "Thank you for turning him on to this." And I said, "You know, Epictetus just kind of fascinates me right now, and I, I'm trying to sort of figure out. I was trying to fit things together, anthropology and philosophy and mm-hmm. human experience and stuff. And I talked to him a few minutes about what I understood about Stoicism, and uh, he just ran with it. <laughs> he wrote a book called 
Daily the, Stoic that just came out. But he well, also he wrote, wrote Ego is the Enemy. The, anim- the Ego is the Enemy. And, and the, the Obstacle is the Way. Obstacle is the Way is the yes. one that was written as uh, off the Stoic. Uh, gotcha. Sort of, yeah, sort of like platform. all of his books are based on this philosophy. Kind of. And they just, is, he just had an article in the New York Times. Yes. And I, and I called him. He was on the front page of the style section. And they pissed me off because if you didn't know Ryan, you would not see Ryan in that article. Mm. And uh, as always, uh, the, this is what makes me furious is that <sighs> finding the truth out of press today, particularly print medium, is almost impossible. It's impossible. They will not publish an article without first assuming that somebody who they're reporting on is a lying sack of shit. Really? That's the position the editor takes in all circumstances. Wow. And so it's always seen through this sort of prism of, well, we can't trust this guy. And they pitted Ryan against academic philosophers. And it's like, that's not what Ryan's trying to do. He's not trying to be an, argue with academics. He's trying to improve sort of a platform for a quality of, you know, yeah. a, an old an old philosophy might inform living today. It's all he was doing. Right. Oh, so anyway. Yeah, yeah. But you guys stayed in touch for 15 years, I guess. Yeah, we I stayed mean, in touch all over. My kids, my son went and visited him in Austin the other day. Wow. It was crazy, yeah. Amazing. My kids idolize him. I think it's great. You so. have triplets, right? I do. And how old are they? 24. 24. Mm. That's crazy. What is, is that crazy. like? What is that like? <laughs> well, now that they're gone, it's probably much different, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the first five years, my hair was darker than yours when they were born. I kid you not. And I'm surprised you still have it. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, that was on full survival mode. Wow. And uh, it was interesting. My wife and I sort of re- revivify those moments again, looking back. And it's literally like one day we just decided, you know, we're just, we're, it was like playing poker and going, well, here are my chips. And we were all in on parenting. Mm. We're just, that's our job now as we're parents. I really felt like I was sitting at a table taking my bet and going, okay, I'm putting it over here on, right. on child rearing. But, but 24 and, years uh, ago, you were also building your career and getting into the media and, and doing all I this was stuff not really life. thinking about media then at all. Uh, Loveline, I think, was one day a week back then. It was just, I thought I was doing community service on the radio. Oh, that's funny. A- and uh, I was practicing full time. I would get up at five in the morning, I would struggle to get home by 10 at night. And I did that for years. And uh, I had sort of three or four different jobs. I did. It. I had an a inpatient medical practice, which included intensive care medicine, which I was pretty good at, and outpatient medical practice. And then at that point, I think I was running the medical services in a psychiatric hospital that eventually morphed into running their addiction services. Mm. So I had those three things going all the time for many, many, many years. And that was here in L.A.? Yeah, Pasadena. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so I sort of had kind of three careers cr- crammed into one for a couple decades. And that, that sort of, like, uh, to me, looking back, that was, uh, it was so much work. And, and it was like, like almost like, a, in retrospect, almost like a little dream state, you know, living, you know, seeing upwards of 60 patients a day and no all, everyone's really sick. And it, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Why did you get into this, uh, in the medical profession in the first place? Uh, it's an interesting story. I, uh, my dad was a doctor. It was always assumed I'd be a doctor. Hmm. And then I went to college, and I was always good at science and math and stuff. And I went to college, and I was like, well, screw this. This is, I am not, this, I did like a semester of pre-med. I'm like, these people are smart. I am not up for this. <laughs> and uh, I messed around for about a year and a half. I left college for a while. I just was like lost, really lost. And after about 18 months, I was like, maybe that medical thing was something I should really think about again. Because I was absolutely rejecting it for a long time. And I thought, ah, oh, I wonder. And I started feeling, the more I thought about it, the more I felt good. And I thought, all right, I'll give it a try. And as I got back into it, something about the male brain. The male brain does not fully myelinate. Certainly the frontal lobe doesn't come online until you're about 26. Mm. And certainly at 17, when I went away to college in Massachusetts, I was not ready right and at 19 all of a sudden i was ready i could do this stuff and it was like uh, and not only was i ready to do it i had to like double down because i I was running out of time 
And so wow. I did it. And it was and it was every step, although it was a high wire act getting it all done, every step I felt more and more and more and more sort of euphoric about the decision. Wow. And then when I I'll never forget, I you know, I can s- almost see the hospital where I trained wow. just on the other side of these those buildings. Is the no 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 side of downtown. Other side of downtown. Uh-huh. The I think you can kind of see the old county hospital wow. up there on the hill. I think it wasn't as hazy of, right now. Yeah, you'd be able to no, see it. No, I think I see it. <laughs> really? And uh when I the first four years of you know medical school that I see were there and I remember walking out of the parking lot every day my first year and going, oh, my God, I love this. Is, I'm so lucky. I really – this is it, man. I, I have found what I want to do. And then later in residency – You're like, uh, why did I do this? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I really st- – I found my – I really dug it. I really – I liked my training. I dug, it was intense. But I, I – I, the dread – some dread set in later when I was over – my workaholism really was kicking in. Right. You when know, you had no I, life. I had zero life. and no sleep and, and no, no nothing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, – but I was, it was because I was so into what I was doing, I started gorging on it, I think. Wow. Yeah. When was, like, the first experience of you in your practice where you felt like, wow, this is – I'm so glad I did this because of the impact I had or because of the transformation someone had or the healing or – um, a person or a moment where you're like, wow, I'm no, so glad? No, because you're inundated in that all the time. Uh, and what I do remember – that was, that had started happening in medical school. I remember even just being able to alleviate pain was a big deal, you know, things, wow. things like that. Um, but later on, uh, sort of much later on, actually, uh, I was – I'm always studying philosophy and anthropology, trying to figure out the human experience. And uh, Aristotle had a thing about the good life. Um, and he was saying, you know, service is really important. Mm-hmm. Everywhere, wherever you get to it, you find giving back, being a, sort yeah. of being, being the, uh, the the other is how you find meaning in life. Always, always, yeah. always. Uh, and Aristotle was taking a position that you had to have techni, which is skill. And this is the part that people miss, that they always go, I want to be of service. I'm ready. Let's go. And and that's great. And you can go ladle. To, you, everyone can do something. Right. But if you have a skill, if you spend time developing skill where you can really make a difference, that is a profound experience. And and he always said it was you know wisdom, technique. He had a bunch of criteria you needed to really lead a good life. And we leave that skill development part off sometimes because mm. you think of it as you don't think of it that way. You don't think you have to develop that skill to be of service. And and it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to develop yeah. a skill that's really impactful these days even to be of service to like a, a company or an entrepreneur i get mm-hmm. a lot of people that email me and say i will move to la and work for you for free but i'm like what can you provide like what skills do you have and they're like well i'll do whatever you need and i'm like to be honest it's going to take more time for me to train you and right. like That's figure right. things out Pe- people miss that the part it's they like, don't understand it's that. not worth you working for free if it's going to take up all my time and energy to yeah. think about what i can put you i, in. I mean I, if you really think about it, it's probably why apprenticeships developed and why schools yeah. developed because right. somebody said we well, got to pay me to do this exactly. teaching stuff yeah. and that's where a profession developed exactly yeah wow so when did the whole media type of thing get involved? When did you start doing like TV? And Complete accident. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, radio was, again, I was very, I really got involved in radio in 1983 because it was just happening in my neighborhood and somebody asked me to help out in this thing and I was like, Jesus, no one's talking to young people about HIV. And it, it, wasn't even, it was GRIDS then, gay-related testicle disease syndrome. Wow. And I thought, somebody's got to talk. It was just an instinct I had. Somebody needs to tell 
sort of so you know rock and roll radio had been such a had such a negative impact on people's behavior from the yeah. standpoint of their sexual behavior and their drug use and stuff. I said somebody needs to infiltrate this and turn oh, this ship around. Yeah, and especially with this thing coming, I could see what was happening because we were putting people on the ground every day with with uh, really oh yeah we didn't even know what it was. I would sit down by by my third year of medical school. I was sitting down with patients every day. And saying you have six months to live. No way. E- every day, and that's I was ne- scary. I was never wrong, and uh, that's just what it was. We didn't have a name for it yet. We were, it was just starting to be called AIDS. We did not have a causative agent. We, it started to be called HTLV three. Remember that, and then HIV one, and then HIOs. We didn't know what we were dealing with, uh, it, but it quickly, quickly evolved into into uh, you know something weird. And in we LA, it was it was oh you know, ground spreading. zero, ground right. zero. It was, it, was, it was very people forget how dark that was. And so that motivated me to get on and talk about it and uh, wow. help try to change people's understanding of the biology of their sexual behaviors, which was not being discussed anywhere at the time, especially not to young people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did that one night a week for years and years, and then all of a sudden somebody wanted to do it five night, nights a week. I was like, oh, crap. And I was like, well, how am I going to do that? So you're working all day in your practice, then you go do then the radio. Then I'd go do radio, and I sort of found a way to do that. And the, literally the week that they decided to put it on five nights a week was the week my wife got pregnant with triplets. Oh, I'm my like, gosh. Oh, my gosh, is right. What do I do now? Yeah, and um, yeah, a- and uh, and then these guys turned up and wanted to do a TV show. I was like, well, that sounds interesting. What's that? How do you do that? Right. And what, it was what, just what an exploration. That was Loveline on MTV. That was 1996. Wow. So I'd been doing radio for 13 years at that point. And uh and it just turned to this thing, and it's and I TV too. I was just like, well, I've got Friday afternoon and Saturday afternoon. If you can do it, then we'll do it. Otherwise, I can't do it. I'm you not gonna do it. You don't want to sacrifice your practice and your no. Leave me alone. My whole thing was leave me alone to practice medicine. I I can't. This media thing is interesting, and I hope and it's fun. It has a huge impact, and I I think it's right. But it it was just sort of an exploration for me. It wasn't something that I was committed to until about 2010. When I when I was doing a lot of television, I thought, oh man, you gotta like look in the mirror and admit to yourself you're on to your second career, and that's when I stopped doing the psychiatric stuff, and let go of the inpatient medical practice, and I just do outpatient medicine now. Wow. So you do? How often are you working with outpatients? Every day. Every, every day. day. Yeah, in some fashion, every day, whether it's emails or, or phone right, calls right, or right, something. Right. Right. But then how many? But you're doing a lot more media now. I mean, you're well, so now, so now, since 2011, really, I just said, okay, that's it. You're doing, you're doing television radio. This is your life. Go do it. Go do it. Yeah. Wow. So, and how's it been since the transition? It's been interesting. It's fun. It's different. It's 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 um, challenging. What's the biggest challenge for you? Um, keeping the plates spinning and you know finding things that people want to watch that also do good. That I think that's the hardest thing is doing things that are really still you know mission critical which is yeah. making a difference which is all i really care about and getting it watched which it's is got to be interesting it's got to be media and it's really hard because <sighs> people aren't watching really anything anymore except nonsense <laughs> they're watching the kardashians you know so how do you make a reality show that people will watch it's, it's hard so you got to have a lot of drama but also you got to have some got to have a lot of teaching drama. and some yeah. solutions yeah. and transformation and, it, and it's all got to be covert because you be in a white coat no good man so it's you, interesting, but I like it. I like the creative process. I like. I've got about you know nine or ten different things I'm trying to work on and see if they'll new shows right now. Yeah, thank really? you. nine right. or ten different shows. Yeah, because I know you have to do that. Because only if you're, it's a miracle that anything gets on television. It's a miracle for one season, and then two seasons is like that's like infinitely, <laughs> infinitely unlikely. Yeah, uh, it's so like Rob Deerdeck. He's hit. He's hit the uh, the mark on ridiculousness. Yeah. He just gets on season after season. He's yeah, kind of yeah, found his niche. Well, but to be fair, I mean, he was sort of 
doing, you know, more. He had multiple different businesses and things, and yeah. he had different ways of doing it. And he, he had a good vision. And he executed it well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you're constantly looking. You're constantly thinking of new ideas around medicine and practice and therapy or addiction and things like that, right? No. 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 What's new ideas on television? Yes. Not necessarily. I, 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 I'm more interested in, like I'm doing some, writing some scripted things. Uh, I'm interested in just showing people about the human experience generally. And if they learn about mental health, if they get really what I want them to learn, I'll feel very grateful. But I just am interested in showing them about human experience. What's the biggest thing you learned about the human experience in all your work? Yeah, You've seen to me everything. it's, to me it's, um, mm, I, because I, I, it's becoming background for me now. You know, I, I'm so steeped in all this, but I, I would say that the thing that's that I'm thinking about all the time that might be interesting to other people is how bodily based a lot of our experiences are. That that the idea of you know looking in the brain for all the answers is a huge mistake. You know, the brain is a processing unit. And certainly, a lot of stuff's going on there, but we we've got these other systems that are very complex that are distributed through our body right. that have a lot to do with the the particularly interactive, intersubjective experience of of being in and around other people and our the self, uh, and that really is the foundation of intuition and all these other things that that really are sort of magical in my opinion. And then the other thing is how how much so much the human experience is about the 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 embedded context, which is other people. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so I, I work on that biology all the time, all the time. It's very complicated. It's, it's a complex biology, and, it's a, and, the, and the psychodynamic aspects of it, you know, how it's experienced, and then how I can be useful as an instrument. It takes a lot of time, a lot of training. Again, that's that technique part that Aristotle pointed out. Wow. Yeah. So what should we be focusing on if we're feeling like we're held back in any way? We as an, an individual? Yeah, like whether it be emotionally, physically, mentally, health. Um, sh should we be focusing on the body? Should we well, focus I mean, on your the mind? Health, your health is, you know, you, you, your physical health first, right? I mean, you don't have that. Yeah, yeah. You don't got much. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, your nutrition, your exercise, and your, your routines in the day. And and I, I would say <laughs> paramount above all that is your important relationships. Make sure they're healthy and good. And if they're not get help with that because there are armies of people that know how to do that um and it really is about then you know sitting with another human being with a skill set who knows how to help you craft a, a new relationship and, and sort of developing that with you so then you can take it out in the world and i went to, i went to therapy for 11 years yeah uh, I, and i'm pretty healthy emotionally right. but but i was very i wanted to really dig into it and uh it was very important for me. I mean, that, that was, as, again, as part of my, much a part of my training as my sort of formal training was. Mm. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host 
So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there to too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Would you say our closest relationships and most intimate relationships affect our body and our mind the most? Or is it more based on our relationship with ourselves? No, it's other people. Way more impactful than anything going on as, as an autonomous. Can affect our emotional health and our every, mental health, everything's physical about, health. Everything's about the other. Everything. Really? The, other but the problem, is, the problem is we get stuck in these characteristic patterns. And so whatever's going on in our relationship with other people is, is built on some much earlier structures. Right. Uh, and, and really sort of fundamentally our, our biggest uh, sort of these days, at least, our biggest job is to regulate ourselves emotionally. Have a, 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 a you know, a, a, to be able to integrate holistically all aspects of who this being is from yeah. you know within the brain, within the skull, and throughout the body, and how that if, is inter experienced with the other person. See, I get to have all these crazy experiences with other people because because I'm I'm way open to it. And I've been in very intense experiences with very sick people with very heavy traumas. And so, you know, I become kind of a weird sort of a mind reader because I get to, you know, how my body responds to sitting around wow. another person informs me a ton, uh, a ton. Wow. And, and especially working with addicts and alcoholics, what they're saying is normally BS. It's normally just a lot of, I, I, I just, I almost don't listen to what they're saying. Like I what just, do they usually say? Or what's the uh, example? They're just, they're complaining, 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 complaining. About? about their their life, their loved one, their care, their whatever. That's you know, the state I you know, I deal with the very, very sick in the very early parts of their treatment. That's sort of my specialty. And I'll just sit and I'll listen. I'll listen not just with my ears, I'll listen with my whole body. And so how wow. I'll start feeling funny things and I'll go, Well, I don't normally feel that or I'll hear music or I'll well, I mean, you know, I know what. I'll have all kinds of strange experiences and I'll stop them. I go, oh, I'm having experience. I wonder if that's meaningful to you and inevitably. Inevitably, it'll be deep and so substantive, and they'll be able to go, how did you know? And, you know, that's that it forms a connection now where that person starts to trust that they're really being heard and understood. And, and a, you know, a big part of treatment is just hearing that other person right. and, and letting them know that they're heard. Uh, that's half the battle, huh? 
Ah, uh, that's the beginning. No, that is not half the battle. That is the okay. that is the opening volley that allows the battle to to right. play then on. They feel like they can express all the things. Then that they are feel like them. they're in a safe environment and they're contained. You know what what's called the you know the context, the the, the frame where they can be held safely, where they can start to have interesting experiences. Wow. And the, and they don't do that in normal life. In normal life, we just sort of we sort of interact. You, you said this. You mentioned the self earlier, and that self is sort of a highly structured phenomena that then. Yeah you know, relates in very predictable ways with other people and we tend to seek out certain kinds of people and so yeah. that fit with that and that's not good. That's limiting. Yeah. That's limiting. It's very, it's very, very, these days it's the very rare person that is as open as you described in your opening volley yeah. where you're, where you're truly open to every, you know, everything and have that creative experience happening all the time. Yeah, it's rare, right? Yeah. What, yeah. what would you say is the, the root of addiction then? Well, root of addiction, fundamentally, addiction is a genetic problem, right? And so it, you either have that gene or you don't. And the, 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 it's not aging. It's, you know, it's a genetic burden. And it may be a mild burden. It may be a heavy burden genetically. And then that typically has to get activated by some kind of environmental mm. hit. And that environmental hit, you know, can be just simply I'm a truck driver and I need to stay up all night, so I'm taking meth. But typically, if you get bad enough addiction that you need to see me, that environmental hit is trauma, childhood trauma interpersonal trauma mm -hmm. and that emotional sexual abuse all, whatever and and that ruptures the the frame of where people develop that capacity for emotional regulation so they never re-enter the frame in a in an open way again and they start trying to regulate any way they can well they find drugs and alcohol that works and off they go yeah. so they end up by the time i see them there's two problems there's severe addiction and whatever comes with that the neurobiological consequences the and all the everything that comes with addiction, and then there's the trauma. So, you know, you can't still holding on to. Oh, yeah. sure, it's in their body. It's 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 embedded in them. It's not it just doesn't. It's fixed. It's a fixed phenomenon. Mm. Once somebody's been traumatized, and, and but that trauma can't really be treated until the addiction is well in hand. You can't start treating the trauma straight off the top. First of all, they can't access it, and secondly, it just fuels the addiction. They're going to so you got to stop the addiction the, first. You got to treat the addiction. Treat first. the addiction, and then you can address the trauma. Maybe, may at some point, hopefully. Wow. Yeah, and that may be six weeks, six months, six years down the line. It depends on the case. So it it takes a long time to treat. What's you know, the real addiction. What's the most effective experience or process that you take people through to to kind of let go of that trauma and acknowledge it? And, and then allow it to be wow. not holding them back their whole life. Anymore. Yeah, but it takes oh, long periods of time to treat that. I mean, again, these, these, yeah. these are, you're talking about changing the wiring of the brain. It's a whole system, yeah. And the brain wires very slowly. And then it has to be, as we always say, uh, that you know, when you repeat the behavior or the experience, the wiring becomes more fixed. So you have to sort of create the wiring and then re-experience and re-experience and re-experience so the wire becomes fixed so, so the regulation becomes more fixed and that takes you know brain grows slowly super slowly wow. and unfortunately there isn't any resources for that these days most people can't afford it a lot of practitioners don't practice that kind of treatment because there's no nobody that can do it yeah uh so it's very sad i i thankfully 12-step itself is is configured in such a way that if done properly, some of that treatment happens automatically. Wow. Pe people in twelve step the process, yeah, in their relationship with their sponsor, yeah. will create a frame. Will have intense experiences with mm -hmm. that person. That person, hopefully, having gone through it themselves, will be sort of open to that, and that creates a version of trauma therapy, in my opinion. How many How many people would you say in America or the world have addictive 
genes or about ten percent. Ten percent are addictive. Yeah. The potential, yeah, have that genetic potential. And you know, the really interesting question is, you know, well, if this is such a bad disease, why does this? Why didn't this gene evolve out of the gene pool a long time ago? Right? It's been fixed seemingly for a long time. Mm. So, how would you answer that question? Hey, why does this gene persist in the human population? Well, it must have some adaptive advantage, right? Mm-hmm. It must be something about it that, that's useful, that create, also has a liability. And what I found, and this is sort of a simplistic way of looking at this, but, but um, there's clear adaptive advantage in extreme circumstances. So addicts, before they develop their disease, before they develop addiction, make great extreme athletes, fighter yeah. pilots, you know, all these extreme situations. Musicians are, yeah. Musicians, stage, yeah. yeah extra, again, military, you know, shortstops. They're, 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 they're fantastic at that. So when you look at populations that are repeatedly assaulted, like even genocidal military assaults, you see the gene for addiction just come up, up like crazy. Wow. So, you know, you look at isolated populations, particularly Scotland, Ireland, where there was multiple generations of extreme, you know, brutality, Alcoholism emerges. These these yeah. are the survivors. <laughs> they survive better in extreme adversity. Now, when you're you're out in a normal civilization with peace, this other thing emerges. <laughs> this thing we call alcoholism or addiction. Wow. Yeah. This is fascinating. How long have you been studying this uh, addiction in general? This particular thing. Uh, really got into it in the late eighties, early nineties. Okay. And, and, you know, I was running uh, medical services in a psychiatric hospital and all the medical problems were down in the drug unit. I became an expert in drug withdrawal. Uh, and then lo and behold, I got interested. I watched some people have these amazing recoveries. Uh, and, uh, I just thought I want to, I want to, what, what was that? How does that work? I didn't learn about that in medical school. What the hell happened? Mm. And, uh, you learned a lot about it in the next 10 years. How many, I guess, of peak performers or extreme athletes or, you know, creatives or artists or musicians at a top level, how many of those individuals would you say have addictive personalities? Ones that are obsessed with peak performance and achieving. Mm, I don't know. I, that, that, you know, obsessed with perfection is different than mm. uh, I make a good fighter pilot. Uh, right, right, it, it's right. a little different uh, because, you know, sort of the system calls down to people that just matter of factly with with or without the the genetics i mean there are many other factors that you know Mm -hmm. go into these personality characteristics that that result in um people craving performance i would say so i i would bet it's a relatively low number gotcha gotcha and what would you say is more traumatic in general the emotional abuse or the sexual abuse that people go through it well sexual in. abuse is pretty shattering i mean yeah. especially if it's at the hand of somebody they trust because mm-hmm. the the body is violated in addition to the emotional system yeah a- and unfortunately i think we just went through an epidemic i remember back in the 90s i was having to convince people that it, that it happened <laughs> it was so weird like oh well you're just talking about it more like, no no it, we it is happening at an extraordinary rate and then unfortunately there was a big period um later 90s where there was child on child sexual abuse which was also very common child on child yeah a child that has been sexually abused by an adult will act out <sighs> on other children and, and that just happens it's just how it goes it doesn't know and uh and that com- is traumatizing for the objects of that abuse and oh. so we had this huge wave of that and and people didn't really know that that was so traumatizing. They because the trauma survivor always sort of thinks of the trauma as something they have quote dealt with. I dealt with that. It's no problem. It's back. It's a, and what that is is a walling off neurologically 
of the experiences and the pieces of self that are so hurt and injured. And then the body is also sort of unregulated and often cut off. I mean, there's different wiring as a result yeah, of this. Yeah. Uh, and so people end up with chronic pain syndromes and all kinds of stuff. Sure. That, uh, or addiction or... Well, addiction is the the other thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's that. That's if they have that gene and the trauma, but yeah, they the the sort of experience of the self and the body is all disconnected, dissociated. We call that. Mm. Uh, and there can be bodily based dissociation. There can be self dissociations, emotional dissociations, and their main means of regulation is by disconnecting. And then what comes out of the body is sort of an unregulated and scary uh, bit of material, you know, wow. neurological material that can't yeah. be processed. It's interesting. You know, I was sexually abused when I was five by a man that I didn't know when I was at the babysitters. And I remember for 25 years, I didn't open up about it. I didn't talk about it because I was so guilty, shameful. Yeah, you felt you know, responsible for it. Everything. I was just like, I don't want people to, to feel bad. I don't want people to look at me differently. And I remember being always so aggressive whenever I felt like, in sports specifically, I took all my aggression out in sports mm -hmm. and was driven to be a great athlete. And anytime I felt like anyone was trying to attack me in any way, whether it be verbally mm -hmm. or like a physical, like little, you know, sidearm or something or just whatever, I would react in such a, you know, just aggressive manner. Yeah. Like I couldn't control it. It was like I always felt like I had to defend myself, sure. my, my manhood, my whatever. Yeah. Until you know, everybody, so so what happens is is that you know every threat becomes potentially that again. It's crazy. So you go from zero to a hundred with so know, quick, and, and yeah. I, you know, people always be like, Dude, "Why are you so reacting so much?" Yeah, to the point. And where that's why I hate the idea of anger management. Like, mm. what, what you're going to manage that anger? No, <sighs> couldn't even control F it. No, you're going <laughs> to deal with the trauma, and uh -huh. then the anger goes away. Yeah, or reduces exactly. or it can be focused or you can use it that kind of right. thing and so a few years ago i finally went through a, an experience where i ta started talking about it i started sharing it with all my family members my friends i started opening up about it all the time good and went through an experience like a physical experience where i really just released it all mm -hmm. you know just emotionally it doesn't really work like that but you had a big experience a yeah. huge experience yeah. where i felt like it didn't own me anymore yeah and i could talk in front of you yeah. calmly without freaking out like if i thought of this three years ago there's no chance i yeah. would have opened up to you or thought about it yeah yeah and by no means am i perfect i still get react and get aggressive and things like that but it's like i'm so aware well you know what would be really good is something called emdr i've heard of that yeah, yeah. where because the idea is that there's still a piece of you that is sort of left behind mm -hmm. uh and it, it it your your body can't reacquaint itself with it without specialized kinds of care yeah uh it literally has to be in another person, metabolized and handed back in a weird right, way. Right. Uh, and, and you can't do it by yourself. You just can't. Yeah. You can improve it like you've done. You've done, you've done great things. This is awesome. Yeah. But to really get that little piece brought back into the whole so you can be a whole thing again requires a little specialized mm. treatment. It may not be that much even after you've sent too much right. work on your own. Right. But it is something that, that, that I just have never seen it spontaneously. Remote. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't. It's been three years, and I've been working on it consistently. Good. But I think uh, I still have a lot more work to do, obviously. But, um, you know, what you were talking about, we kind of contain it. For 25 years, I contained it, and I didn't talk about it. And I was like, ah, oh, it's in the past. Oh, like, I did. I'm you know, dealt with it. I'm fine with that. No I big deal. Talk, I don't need to talk about it. Yeah, yeah it's, all, it's yeah. all good. But yeah. then I realized when I opened up, like, I was – Whoops. <laughs> I was, <laughs> like, trembling and crying. It was just, like, everything. It was just, like, a release of, like, this – fear and pain and you know healing all everything at once yeah. i couldn't like control my body you know yeah. it was unbelievable the process and yeah. i think that's uh 
you know, if anyone, you know, I've talked about this many times in the podcast now, and I've had other people talk about their experiences of, of any type of sexual emotional abuse. But I feel like that's one of the things that holds us back the most. So being well, I, I was emotionally abused growing up, yeah. uh, and I was left with uh, a lot of feelings of emptiness. Yeah. Uh, and, and disconnect and anxiety. I had anxiety, 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 anxiety. And I still have anxiety disorder. I'm sort of wired that way. And uh, which is fine. I can use that as an, you can use all these things as assets later. Yeah, you know, all that anger stuff, like for sports, you used it as exactly. an asset. You I, did it. I channeled it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, the emptiness was a real challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found that in a really well managed, what's called mentalizing therapy or transference therapy, um, you, you can be safe in a frame to fall into that emptiness and then learn to come in and out of it, and then it goes away. Imagine that. Because yeah. it feels like it's just there. Yeah, right. and, and and I don't know how that really – I can tell you experientially how it happens, but no one really knows how it happens. Uh, it's probably different for different people. But yeah. I, I what I found is I would I would actually just go into these – what, what uh, a guy named Alan Shore, who's, who really writes a lot of the neurobiological material on this, he wrote a book called Affect Regulation – and the origin of the self, which is my my Bible, wow. uh, and he calls them uh, trauma-associated dead spots. I just call it emptiness, and <laughs> you'll fall into them. And the therapist yeah. has to be very skilled at keeping you there and getting you out. Wow! Uh, and then you start going in and out, and then it goes away. And that that's that that's that specialized. That's for me. That was my version of the specialized care I needed yeah. in order to really close this wound sure yeah it's funny because i was i channeled all my aggression and anger into sports to being the mm-hmm. best that i could it's good and i was skilled and i trained like a, a maniac uh, and all my sports dreams and goals i achieved them mm-hmm. but it's funny after i achieved every one of them i always felt empty and lonely mm-hmm. and i always felt like oh it's not enough i'm still not good enough well that's that i still need to get right but, but isn't that what people talk about is filling the void it's exactly. never enough it's why yeah. people make lots of money it's never enough never people enough have lots of women never enough and, and that's that's the nature of how mm. we're configured as human beings. Once we get one of these injuries, we do what we can as individuals to fill it. Yeah. It will not fill without the other. Bottom line. Wow. And the way you're connected to the other has to be a very... It it's, has to be different than what you're accustomed to. Yeah. Because what you're accustomed to will be based on the wiring of the trauma. Right, right. Yeah, and and trauma does the other crazy, and this is the craziest thing of all. And I see a lot uh, in culture and in you know, a lot of people's behaviors and stuff. Um, is it makes us reenact the trauma? We we will create relationships and circumstances. Mm-hmm. We'll be attracted. This is the part that people miss. We'll be attracted to people and circumstances that and that are much like the perpetrators in the environment which our original Why trauma occurred. No one knows, and people, people, it, we, it's just how we work as humans. The real question is, you know, is wh- what is the evolutionary, you know, in the environment of evolution adapted us? Why do we develop this thing? Why do we do that? Right. And I think it has something to do. My suspicion is, I spent a lot of time thinking about garbage like this, but my suspicion is it allows us then to transmit information about major traumas that affected populations in the remote past. In other words, mm. if you're going to try to transfer information about what happened in Egypt during the Passover, if you try to tell that story generation to generation, it's going to get lost. But if we engage in a ritual every year where we reenact the trauma, we're never going to forget this. And we still do Passover today, many thousands of years later. But that story would have never lasted. 
but the ritual does. And so in a weird way, it's sort of a ritual reenactment of the trauma. So it must have had an adaptiveness for the population, but for the individual, mm -hmm. it's maladaptive. Right. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. Speaking of rituals, what's a ritual that you think, or that you do, or you think everyone should do on a daily basis to live a rich full health work out do some kind of physical exertion something and and i i for me i'm an i'm an auditory learner that's why maybe i'm liking podcasting and by the way i have two very important podcasts i want to promote i forgot go for it one's called this go, you got to go to drdrew.com to get yep. all my podcast i do one with adam carolla still yes i'm a dr drew podcast that's great i do another one on the carolla uh network, network called the dr drew podcast which was sort of celebrity and medical related then I do something called Weekly Infusion with another doctor. If you are a Corolla fan, it's, it's Dr. Spaz, Dr. Bruce Heishover, which is strictly medically related, but it's sort of medical incredible stuff. And then I do another one with Bob Forrest, the guy with the hat and glasses that okay. I, I did the celebrity rehab with. And um, that's called This Life. So please, th This Life and, and um, uh, Weekly Infusion needs your help. So so please, everybody, go, go listen. to Dr.com, listen to those. Thank you. DrDrew.com, yeah, right. iTunes. Listen to Lewis. Stitcher. But anyway, what should you do every day? My thing is you must physically exert yourself every, every day in some fashion. At least five days a week. Yeah, yeah. It is, you're, you're, you're not doing, you're, you're underserving your, your body. And what that, you know, as they always say, what, what exercise should you do? The one you'll do. The one you sweat. The one you will do. I don't care if it's playing handball. I don't yeah, care yeah. if it's lifting weights. <laughs> the one you will do, the one you should do. Because you'll, you'll, you know, we all have our own sort of zone for what we like and we'll yeah. do. And I like lift, lifting weights, so I will lift weights every day. Yeah. My garage is filled with stuff. Let's go. So are you I still in Pasadena? Or yeah, you? yeah. And I will literally go down there. I, like I'm as soon as we finish here, I think I have like a half hour somewhere, and I'm gonna <laughs> cram it. I'll go downstairs <laughs> to my garage, do it, and but the other piece, and this is the other thing that I think is important, is some sort. Oh, oh my wife is texting me. Huh? Oh. Uh, some sort of um, uh, meditative something, something for your brain. And for me, it's listening to lectures. I listen to lectures about. You, you hear me already, anthropology and philosophy and psychology and stuff. Um, but I go, I'm a very astute auditory learner, so I, I, I can lift weights and listen and really take in the information. Yeah. I know, I understand everyone's brain's not configured that way. Sure. But, but it's, it's, for me, it's almost, it's elevating whatever brain state I'm in. So whatever that means to you, that's what you should do while you're working. Wow. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this. Assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. When you want the best, you have to act quickly 
or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game, or when you're hiring for your business and you wanna find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What's the one audio book or lecture or book that Ugh. people should read to oh my god you so you're, you're going you're taking me down the nerd path because hey. stuff i love hey it's cool you know <laughs> i want to know what you love people i stuff i love it, it to optimize their health uh, or their no, self there isn't it there isn't such a thing <laughs> okay I, let's I, get him <laughs> listen to what you i i i here's what i like i like yes. itunes you you ever iTunes, iTunes you huh Oh my God! It's all every university in the world essentially submits. It's an app, and they'll submit wow. their great courses, and you can listen free. to free. Wow. You can listen to the great courses for. And I'm telling you, Yale and Berkeley, and uh, Yale, Berkeley, and Emory are my favorite. Uh, they have the best stuff up online. Uh, all right, I'll tell you what. Here's my Emory has. Uh, I'm going to see what my thing is. I'm gonna, right. I'm well, here's my here's my page. Well, I'm all the stuff. I'm going to Instagram story. This Emory has something this. called the Center for Mind, Brain, and Culture. Let's uh, see it. Let me see. This is your page. Well, this is one of my pages. Yeah. Dr. Drew's page yeah. on iTunes, right? Your courses. Wow. In my courses. Look at this. Yeah. Those Super nerd. Friend. But I have but I have like pages and pages of this. I mean, it goes this and goes crazy. and goes. This is crazy. And it's just, it's this app. Um, that's the app right there, right? It's just iTunes. iTunes. Oh, I've yeah. seen that. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And uh, and I listen to an hour of lecture every day. And and, uh, and now it's I'm having trouble finding the ones I want. Here's, there's some good ones. There's this, the UCTV has some great stuff. Carta. Jeez, um, University of Chicago is great stuff. Yale is great stuff. Amazing. But I but I started with the basics. You know, I just started with great right. ideas. Right. That's really what I started with. I just really making myself familiar with the great ideas, and, and um, you know, going mm. from there. Mm. What are you? Um, you've done so much in your career. You've helped so many people. I, I don't know. You have like forty hours in a day. You do seven shows a day. It seems like like all these different podcasts. I don't know how you do it all. You're healing at 60 clients a day you're doing everything it, it, I'm, doing. I'm manic that's what manic, <laughs> yeah. you got three kids triplets you know i'm hypomanic i you're think driving all over the so. place you're, you have to drive from pasadena to west hollywood you know which takes four hours of traffic but but but, uh, but i found a way to use that time i listen to listen, iTunes, you, you learn or i make phone calls i do business yes. i take phone calls i talk to patients whatever needed what you can always use your time yeah. you can use your time when i was a kid this i've never talked about this this is an interesting yeah. idea when i was a kid i always I always wanted to take my home with me if I had to go away. Mm. I had this dream that I could shrink my house into a – something about huh. my home was very, I don't know, reassuring to me or I don't know. Uh, it wasn't the happiest place on earth for me, <laughs> but, but it felt like I wanted to take it with me. And uh, my dad would always say, just think about it. Figure it out. He goes, think people figure more, diff more difficult things out. Figure uh -huh. that out. Figure out how to shrink your home and then land it wherever you want it. Right. And, and as I – Early on, I, I bought into that, and later I was like, "Come on, 
Stop it. it get, you know, how, at least give me motivation to do something that's possible. Stop it, Dad. <laughs> but then I started realizing that what I was interested in was sort of internally taking my home with me, right? So being an inside thing. And the travel part was somehow something that I didn't like. And, and so I found ways to use travel as something other than travel whether it's on a plane or in a car, that's time to do work or listen yeah. to things, to learn things. And so I don't think of it as travel anymore. I just think of it as study hall. Going to school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just happens to be the time. So I don't I don't regret my travel time anymore. Yeah. I used to hate it. Right. And now, but now thought, we have oh, smartphones. Well, yeah, yeah, and I can do a lot of stuff. So now, I'm going to get in a car accident, of course. But <laughs> but but it, it somehow um, – Somehow that early idea that he planted became this. Interesting. So that's, uh, that's cool. You know, when I moved here four and a half years ago. Where'd you move from? I was in, I'm from Ohio. Yeah. Moved to New York City for a year and a half and then moved here for a girl. Of course. Didn't work out quickly. Good, good times. And uh, great lessons though. And I, it all works out in the end. But I remember driving on the 10 in traffic one day trying to get like two miles and we're, like we're going to devolve into an episode of the SNL Californian and I remember sitting in, I was like just going through this breakup I was frustrated I was like why did I leave New York it was yeah. amazing I was yeah, like, yeah. on top of the world yeah. and I was like there's got to be a better way to like be in this traffic and inspire people who are frustrated like me in this moment Yeah, and that's where School of Greatness came oh, from oh good for you see I was like, I yeah. want to create some more people are traveling. They have some inspiration. They can learn something from the most inspiring people in the That's world, like yourself. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, we have about 10 minutes left because okay. I want to make sure I'm on time for you. Okay, thank you. Um, what is, you've done so much in your career. What's your vision and mission moving forward? Uh, everything I've done has always been without a blueprint. I, I don't know quite it, it. And to me, that's sort of part of the creative process. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's for me, it's been all about being willing to take risk and open a door and walk through it and see what's there. Mm. Because I've done some pretty scary stuff for a physician. Yeah. You know, it, it, put you, yourself on the line a lot. Yeah. And, and, and I've always just been willing to do that. If I, my instinct was that it would be good for people in the long run, that I do, mm. it would do something good. Um, cause I, I know that as we talked about earlier in the hour, I got to trust people that know how to attract eyes. Yeah. If I'm going to make a difference, those eyes have to be there. Absolutely. And so that means creating environments that I may not be familiar with or feel comfortable with, but okay, let me see if I can make it into something worthwhile and deliver yeah. some good information. And that started back in 1983 when I wow. showed up on that radio show and I was like, oh my God, what is this? And I was, I went through some very tough times with that and on, on every front. I've always, I've always been taking heat for stuff I've wanted to do to help because I know, I know you can't just do it the way doctors would traditionally do yeah. it, the way we would do it as didactic teachers. It just doesn't work. Not on a, not on a mass scale. Wow. And media has a huge impact and it needs physicians. It needs our point of view. It's not enough of you guys doing it. Uh, and we have to be willing to, to be creative and different in how we approach it. And we've got to lay off our peers that decide to do it. Yeah. Support them. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Did I answer that question? I think so. Your vision yeah. and mission moving no, forward. No, no. The mission moving forward is just keep one foot in front of the other for yeah. as long as my blood Take pressure. Can, yeah, yeah. As long, yeah, as long as I can handle it. Um, I wish I had more of a mission, mm -hmm. really, because it would be probably more comfortable. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, at least I had a track sure. to roll down. Sure. I, I, I sort of could uh, 
gauge myself better. Well, with no mission, but, you're still doing great. So but so much of my stuff that so much of my stuff is that does not have a precedent. Yeah. So I'm sort of always in kind of a frontier or sort yeah. of mode. Yeah. Wow. You're scaring me talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about having a vision and just being like, you know, for as an athlete, every season at the beginning of the season, our coach would have on the chalkboard, okay, what's our vision for the next three months? Yeah, I get that. But what, you, do we, but, what do we want to achieve? Yeah. It, but it, so it's I, a period of time, I, not like your whole life. I, I, you know? I get that. And, and with things, with athletic performance, I think that's yeah. necessary because mm-hmm. you're, you're always having to, you know, eke out little improvements, which make a big difference yes. in, in relative yes. to the next guy. In my world, it's more like a philosophy, mm. and so that's sort of what I have is, and you've, I've been talking about my right. philosophy, right, right, uh, and and I think that's, and that's something I work on every day is yeah. what is that philosophy and how can I improve that and how can I make a difference, more mm. of a difference, and how can I bring that understanding to bear and yeah. use it in a way that helps people. It's very yeah. simple. You know, have fun, do good, make a difference. It's a, yeah, simple life. Who's been the most influential person in your life? Hmm. And what's the biggest lesson they taught you? My dad was a pretty big influence. He was sort of a pain in the ass, but he was a pretty big influence. Uh, his thing was always put patients first, and that was pretty good. In fact, I bought onto that even more than he did, <laughs> it turned <laughs> out. Uh, uh, the work thing from him, he was a workaholic too, and I think that was... That was the important thing. Um, I had a professor in college that was very influential, mm. and he's sort of out of vogue now, but I just liked the way he made me think. And yeah. uh, a guy named Hedley Arkes that is now being w- attacked because he's he takes very rigid sort of points of view, but he mm. made me think about philosophy and things that I had not thought about. Mm. And I was busy out in the sciences and stuff too, and so to have a – political science professor make me think in a new way whether I agreed with his point of view or not was important to me um I, I'm sure if I thought about it I put 30 people on that list yeah and, I mean it depends I had a psychiatrist colleague that was deeply impactful on me I want to I want to write about him a little bit mm. this guy that studied it was a psychoanalyst who was in psychiatry for 50 years and she could have sort of saw the whole arc of all what was happening in psychiatry and I sort of Listened to him and spent a lot of time talking yeah. to him and adopting his philosophies and things. I had uh, medical trainers, trainees. I had a professor in, in intensive care medicine that I took away. It's, it's little pieces from everybody. Yeah. And this one guy chanted at me always, diagnosis, prognosis, treatment, book. Diagnosis, prognosis, treatment, book. He just chanted that at me. And his point was, if you don't come up with a diagnosis, you don't have a treatment. And a lot of doctors don't get this. They they start trying treatments before they ever make a diagnosis. Huh. And so, is you you treatments are studied in the context of a particular diagnosis. And if you're not treating that diagnosis, your treatment's BS. Right. Yeah. You're just that's just a guess. But so so you make sure your diagnosis right. is as accurate as possible. Apply the treatment. Diagnose the prognosis. You know, offer a prognosis to everyone based on that on that. Diagnosis, prognosis, treatment. <laughs> wait, wait. Diagnosis, prognosis, so you can prognosticate first and then offer your treatment and then go back to the and study mm. and study and do research and study. Wow. And so diagnosis, prognosis, treatment book. And, and that's always been with me. And I had a cardiologist that was deeply impactful on me. I had a, an infectious disease doctor that I've come back around and mm. asked to take out to dinner a couple times to yeah. show my appreciation for how what impact they had on me. And, cool. and these, there are people that <laughs> the way they think – uh, they just don't get things wrong. 
and uh, I try mm. to be one of those guys, even though I'm not. That's cool. uh, I, I, uh, these guys that, like, let's give you a quick story. I mean, a guy, I remember I called for an infectious disease consult. I was looking at this kid in the emergency room, and it looked like measles to me. It was a 19-year-old kid with morbilliform rash and fevers, and tongue was red, and blah, 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 mm. the usual measles stuff. And uh, this friend of mine, an infectious disease guy, looks, looks one, takes one look in the room, and he goes, have you ever heard of septic scarlet fever? course him knowing that i'd never even heard of that <laughs> and uh, he goes this is septic scarlet fever and wow. god damn it he was right <laughs> so, so uh, it gives you something to live up to wow interesting yeah. okay this is one of the final questions that i ask all my guests at the end it's called the three truths okay now you've got a lot of messages you put out that you've been on the radio for ever 30 something years eight 1984 i was 84 as you said 83 that's what month 30, uh August, I would say. Okay, March is when I was born. Yeah. So eighty-three. Yeah. So you've been on. You've old. been. You've been as long as you've been alive. Sharing content yes. in the media and the radio and TV and all your writing and everything for a long time. And uh, imagine that uh, it's the last day for you, many, many years from now. And I'm dying. I'm on my deathbed. It's your last day. Okay. Yes. Last day on Earth. Last day on Earth. Yeah. You've created everything you want to create. Yeah. Taken all the risks and they've all worked out in one, okay. one way or another. But for whatever reason, everything you've created is now erased. It's gone. No one has access to it for whatever reason. Okay. Hypothetically, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But uh, someone by your bed gives you a piece of paper and a pen and says, will you write down the three things you know to be true about everything you've experienced in your life? Or three lessons, three simple truths that you could pass on that, that you, this would be the thing that people remember you by, these three truths. Jesus. What would you the, 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 <laughs> It's not fair, is it? <laughs> See, everyone I, gets the same Does question. everyone freak out? Oh, good, okay. <laughs> so I, I'm going to distill it down. Oh. I'm going to distill it down to what I've seen works with people who are in, who are dying, frankly. Mm. Um, who who are you know in extreme circumstances and and these three things tend to everything seems to you know things kind of kind of go down into a yeah. single dot when you're really in in the moment and these these three things I've seen to be true have faith whatever that means to you develop some concept of faith and that's can be God it can be just a faith and physical properties of the universe i don't care what it is you need faith have hope and again that's kind of a big concept too that that it may be based in reality it may not be have hope and nothing matters but the important relationships in your life Hmm. that's it those are powerful that's what that's what people usually that's what those things if they can hang out of those things when when it really the 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 rubber hits the road shit hits the fan those three things tend to keep people moving forward. That's great. Those are great. Um, before I ask the final question, I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Dr. Drew, for your incredible contribution to humanity. Again, all the work you've done, all the, Here's the risk thing. you've Hum- taken. Humility is very important, too, so don't. don't. It, it, it's, well, I want to take a moment. It's very kind. I want to take a moment. It's hard for me to take that kind of thing in, so I appreciate you doing that, but I will try because it would be good okay. for me to do so. So I want to let you uh, practice patience for a moment and yes. not speaking. Okay. And let me, for a moment, acknowledge you for, you know, sparking so much inspiration in me as a someone who watched you on TV many, many years ago. Before I got into any of this, you really inspired me as a human being to, th- even if it was crazy or whatever the, the context was, it really showed me how to be a better human being and how to heal myself. And I think the work that you do uh, on a day in and day out basis for almost 35 plus years now, just on radio and TV alone, is so profound 
in making impact globally, not just one-on-one, which is also extremely important, which you constantly do, but trying to use all of your energy to make the maximum impact on the maximum number of people. For me, I want to acknowledge you for that. Yes. I, I thank you. I, I will say that it's somehow more real and meaningful for me to hear that I impacted you. Mm. Uh, what I do for on a big scale feels, I'm, I, I hope it does. Yeah. But that's harder for me to take in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, before I ask a final question, where can we connect with you? DrDrew.com. Where yeah, else do you like to hang out? Social um, media. In Los Angeles, I'm doing a radio show every day, noon to three, KBC, 790 AM, which we're having fun with. Okay. Uh, I'm probably going to go back on CNN soon. Nice. Uh, I'm going to be producing some interesting projects, I think, coming up that keep an eye out for. I can't really talk about them yet, but I think they're going to make a difference, too. Um, Which social media do you hang out the most? Doctor.com. Oh, oh. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I monitor Twitter the most, but I hate it the most. Okay. Because it's so abusive. You check it out every day, though. I check it a couple times a day, but it's so abusive. It's so much backlash. Oh. Uh, so send I, him something positive yes, about this interview. Yes, I would appreciate it. It's bad for my soul to have the negative stuff. But, at Dr. Drew but, on Twitter. At Dr. Drew. At DRDRW on Twitter. And I have a Facebook I don't watch so much. Instagram I watch a okay. little bit. If you would watch out there, when I do put stuff up, I, it's, it's, I mean it. It's You're important there. to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, otherwise, the website, DrDrew.com, is mostly where I hang out. So. so on Twitter, let Dr. Drew know exactly the thing that you're inspired or, by or the most. get in our this. contact list at DrDrew.com. It's Sign slash contact, and we'll send you emails, and, and you can send me emails. That we, my wife monitors all that, okay. so it does get to me. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the final question is, what's your definition God, of greatness? This is the last question. What's your definition of greatness? I, I, my instinct is greatness is what you say it is, and that is what you define as greatness and you want to be. It, it it may not look that great to somebody else, but I, I think the individual has to determine what greatness mm-hmm. is. And, uh, yeah, I think I can say that. Great, greatness is an individual, and from my opinion, it's an individual measure, and it's something that um, you should establish for yourself. Dr. Drew, thank you so much, man. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. This is great. Thank, thank you for you. your kind words. Of course, of course. And there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this powerful interview and episode with Dr. Drew. And after the interview was done, I remember I wanted to ask him a few more questions about masculinity because of my new book. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so bummed that I didn't get to ask you. And he said, yes, that's actually a topic that I want to talk about and dive in deeper. And he said, I'll have to come back on because that's a whole nother hour interview. So if you enjoyed this one, we're going to have Dr. Drew back on at some point in the future. So make sure to tweet me or tweet Dr. Drew and let him know what you're most inspired by from this interview and other questions you may have for him in the future. Again, share this with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 419. Guys, if you've been here for a while and you have not subscribed yet on Stitcher or iTunes or SoundCloud, make sure to click the subscribe button right now. And also, if you have yet to leave a review, it would mean the world to me. The more reviews we get the more people find out about it on iTunes. So go ahead over there right now and leave a review if you felt like this has added any value in your life because that will only spread the message of greatness to more people. And it's my mission to impact the maximum number of people with the content that we're developing here at the School of Greatness. We're bringing on some incredible guests. I hope you would agree because you keep coming back to listen and you keep saying they're incredible. So just make sure to do your part and share this out with other friends of yours Email them, post it on Facebook, Twitter, tag people on Instagram, let them know about the podcast episodes you like the most, and leaving a review will be extremely helpful for the show as well. And I'll leave you with this. We get one life. Make sure you're taking care 
of the different areas of your life to help you live with the most joy, passion, and love in your heart. You owe it to yourself to take care of your mind, your body, and your soul. Make sure to take care of yourselves today. I love you. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 